spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Welcome to Max Mike Movies. In this, our second series, we will discuss a different movie each week. A movie that falls into the category of what we're calling Hidden Gems. These are movies that Max and I both think are fun, interesting, or otherwise worth seeking out, but for some reason don't seem to have reached a particularly wide audience. We'll go over the plot of the film in our show portion, go back and forth over the film's merits, points, and details in Lowdown, and finish up with the Roundup, where we discuss why we think the film deserves a wider audience and maybe try to figure out why it doesn't have one. Over there, hiding behind the trash barrel, is Max Levine. You can't see me, you can't see me. Um, just because your eyes are closed doesn't mean I can't see you. Yes, it does. I have a towel wrapped around my head. That means I can't see you and you can't see me. Damn, you've run rings around me logically. <laughs> ah, and sitting over there, sitting in a ring of logic, is Mike Luce. It's a nice fluffy ring of logic <laughs> that smells bad. <laughs> are you certain your, fun- your circuits are functioning? Your ears are green. <laughs> Thank you, Spock. Um, this week, we're going to be... Speaking of logic and science, this week we're going to be... Science! Science! Well, that's a different film. Um, yes. We're going to be discussing the 1985... I think it's 1985. Um, yep. Not 85. as lesser known as we thought it was movie, mm-hmm. Val Kilmer vehicle, Real Genius. Yep, his, I think, second movie. I think the first one he had a leading role in was Top Secret was 84, right. I think. Which, mm-hmm. to be fair, isn't as well known either. Um, Todd Secret led us to things like Police Squad and... Um, Airplane. Right. Because... Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're going to be discussing Real Genius. Which means we're going to get smacked upside the head with the show portion. The show. So, Real Genius, quite simply, is about some students at Pacific Tech, not Caltech, wink, oh, no, wink. Not. Who, Nudge. Who basically are duped by their professor into creating a weapons-grade laser to pass their tests. And hilarity ensues. That's the plot. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we chose this film because we, when we saw it, and I have to have to bring up our, our friend Dan again. I think it was Dan. I think he actually met Martha Coolidge back in the 80s when he was living yeah, in he, L.A. He, and so he found out about this film. It did not get a huge release, or at least it was not as big a release as a lot of other 80s films. That being said, after we'd chosen it, I'd noticed on Netflix that it was in the trending section, which means that Mm. it's maybe not so unknown as it used to be, which is good. Maybe it's having a comeback. Yeah, it's a fun film. Mm. Uh, It's not perfect, but it is a lot of fun. It is another one of those films where if you ever meet either Max or myself, at some point we're going to quote it because we can. Can't. Yep. And we are required to by federal statute. Uh, I thought that ran out in uh, 2012. No, not that Congress did a temporary extension up to 2020. Damn the man. Save the empire. Damn the man. <laughs> so we're going to go uh, uh, right into trivia here. Uh, there's, yes. there's tons of it. <laughs> I, I had to edit down because there's lots. Um, starting with the main character, Mitch, arguably the main character, played by Gabe or Gabriel Jarrett. I think he goes by Gabe in this film and later Gabriel. Uh, is close friends with Andy Dick, uh, and oh, I, on oh his, dear, on really? His, yeah, on his own Facebook page, he is an Andy Dick apologist. Um, <laughs> oh, that must be a full time job. It, well, it, the funny thing is, is one of the posts was him and Andy hanging out, which you know, mm-hmm. and he said that 
people just don't understand Andy, and he's recently brought up on sexual harassment charges for licking a coworker, and they just don't understand. That's just Andy. <laughs> okay. And I think you could have... I it would be fine if Andy was a basset hound. <laughs> I think you could have a failed TV show called It's Just Andy. <laughs> um, if only Andy would remember to toss, not stack. Remember, folks, toss, don't stack. Um, the pop popcorn scene at the end of the film. The oh, popcorn yeah. itself was real, but all of the popcorn outside the house was not edible because it was treated with flame retardant. The reason being, <laughs> apparently... They made. They had so much popcorn, but they needed more. So they went to this local company and said, "Hey, can we get? You know, I'd like ten thousand marbles, please." And <laughs> they popped all this corn, and unfortunately, they were popping so much corn to meet demand that the company burnt down. Whoa! Um, so they're like, "Hey, wow, we didn't know popcorn was so flammable. We ought to retard that stuff." So they did. Yeah. Apparently, also, it was like one hundred and forty tons of popcorn. I saw one hundred ninety-six thousand pounds. That's what I saw. Wow. Yeah, of popcorn or something like My that. God. Some ridiculous amount. I mean, it may be, it may have been not that much, but it was it was ridiculous. So. I mean, that's a great scene at the when the popcorn bursts Jerry's house. But apparently, MythBusters proved that would not happen. Well, the the house itself was a shell that it yeah. was basically housing the world's biggest popcorn popper. So, yeah, pretty much. And I'm sure it was like structured such that, hey, if you blow on it, it splits at the seams or something. Because you know? <laughs> let's face it, there's not a lot of force generated by popcorn. Now, um, apparently what would happen if you hit it with a, a megawatt laser is it would turn black and condense. Well, well, well I, I think the idea was that you'd have heated up all of the gallons of oil instantly. Although we don't see the house bursting into flames, which is what I would have no. thought would happen. But anyway, yeah, we'll get yeah. to that. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Mayrink, she played uh, Jordan. She had mm -hmm. a short career, but had some interesting parts in other films that are, I'm going to say, sort of thematically linked to this. She was in Revenge of the Nerds, The Outsiders, and Valley Girl. Apparently, she also mm -hmm. dated Crispin Glover. Oh, um, dear. Uh, we didn't find out about much about that. She was also in a film called The Joy of Sex with the actor who played Kent, Robert Prescott. Ah, oh, there's a visual. Well, there, yeah, yeah, well I mean, joy should be maybe in quotes. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see that movie. I heard about... Isn't that the one uh, Martha Coolidge directed that also, but she got fired from it because she kept cutting the gratuitous nudity? Um, if you're doing a movie called Joy of Sex, how gratuitous is it? Yeah. Well, she wouldn't do it, but uh, her, her name is still somehow attached to it. But oh. they brought in somebody else, yeah. Um, one of our favorite character actors in, is in this. His name's William Atherton. He's probably best uh, known for being Necklace in Ghostbusters. <laughs> That's the TV well, version. <laughs> does this guy ever play a good guy? I mean, he's, yeah, Walter Peck in yep. Ghostbusters. He's the horrible uh, reporter Thornburg in yep. the first two Die Hard movies. Yes, he is. And he's the voice of Dr. D or Dr. Destiny in the Justice League cartoons, another villain. You know, I some people just embrace their role and they go with yeah. it. I don't know anything about him personally. He does a great mm -hmm. job. He's one of those character actors. Well, I used to like to see Jeffrey Jones in films, but uh, that that mm. yeah, that was unfortunate. Yeah, uh, and it's like you see him, and it's like he's not trying to be anything that he's not good at. I don't know yeah. if he'd make a good leading role. It's like that one role that um, Alan Rickman did, where it was a truly love, truly madly deeply, right? Where he, where he played a romantic romantic lead, and it was apparently really good in it. But mostly, yeah. you just want to see Alan Rickman like chew the scenery and and eat people. Yes, uh, pretty much. So you know, William Atherton, I I've enjoyed all of his performances. The fact that he plays bad guys or necklace guys is fine. <laughs> um, 
So the laser. We're gonna keep in the... it family friendly, folks. <laughs> Necklace. Uh, yes, it's true. This man has a neck. Philip J. Fry. <laughs> Um, the laser in the film, or at least the laser depicted in the film, is something that the Navy currently has. Uh, I think also, the, I, I found out later, the Air Force also has one. Uh, the Navy's mm. is ship-based. The beam, of course, is invisible because you can't see laser beams. It's, right. Um, yeah. Um, I, I have the pronunciation of this wrong, I'm sure. John Grease or John Grice, who played Hollyfeld, who was also in The Powers of Matthew Starr. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Oh God! He was also that in terrible sci-fi. Was it a, a movie or was it actually a series? It depends. Can a movie yeah. last three episodes? Because a series can't. Um, oh. I mean, it was no, you know, Phoenix, but you know. Oh dear. Yeah, Bennu. Um, I Google that one, folks. Yeah. Um, he no, was also don't. He was also in Spaceballs. Um, mm-hmm. He was. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, no. He was in Spaceballs. He was in Napoleon Dynamite and Men in Black. Uh, I think wasn't he also in uh, Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines? Uh, he might have been. I didn't get. I think that he credit. was. He was. Yeah, he was sort of one of the rival cops. No, he's been. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, a lot of the people here that I didn't like remember or don't remember from other films actually have quite long careers. The next one, who's I just got that quote wrong. Robert Prescott was in Spaceballs. Has been uh, in lot mostly TV. Most of the folks have done TV, but they're still hmm. out there working. Even Mitch, whom I've never seen before, I think one of his uh, credits was Apollo thirteen. He's really? one, of, yeah, he's one of the the technicians or something. But oh, wow. uh, and he is utterly unrecognizable. I was looking at his uh, Facebook page and stuff, and it's like that's Mitch. Okay, um, yeah, but yeah, Robert Prescott was also in Joy of Sex with uh, the woman who played Jordan. Hmm. Um, the gross on this film was about $13 million, which is a moderate Ooh. success, not huge, considering mm. it. Although, I had, couldn't find the budget, and it's like, well, the budget couldn't have been, oh, right, the house. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, a lot of the incidents in this film were based on real pranks and stuff done at Caltech, <laughs> MIT, and various other technology institutes. One of the ones that wasn't a prank that was also based on a real incident was the Frito-Lay contest. Apparently, well, actually, I guess this was a, wasn't a prank, but it was based on two Caltech students doing much the same thing in 1974 with a McDonald's sweepstake. They, uh, oh, yeah. they walked off with 20% of the prizes, so apparently... Um, <laughs> they got the math wrong. They got the math wrong, or they're just not as smart as, as Laszlo. So. <laughs> uh, the I co- bet they didn't get an RV out of it. Uh, or a girlfriend. Mm. Uh, the coordinates given in the film for the laser, they're given twice and at two different places. The first time they list them, and it's just in the background where you're, you're overhearing it, uh, actually goes to a Soviet naval base near the, the Arctic Circle. Uh, the other one, which is the one that we see written out, is somewhere in Oxnard, California, which is potentially <laughs> near where this is supposed to have taken place. Okay. Um, one of the little inserted things that I thought was interesting is the initials DEI. I don't exactly know what they stand for, but it is apparently the mission of any Caltech student to get those initials into as many things as possible, such as on the peak of Everest, onto satellites and space <laughs> probes. Supposedly, DEI made it to the moon, although I had no citation for that, so I don't know if it's true. In this film, you see it twice. You see it as uh, on the side of the truck that they steal, or I don't know, maybe they rented it. I think they stole it, but for Drain Experts, Inc., and also, it's the job that both Kent and Chris are trying to get at Darlington Electronic Instruments. Hmm. So apparently this was done with the knowledge of the film crew. Like, they got it in on purpose. So, um, uh, yeah. The letters DEI, by the way, yep. are uh, associated with Dabney House at Caltech. 
Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It goes back so far. Nobody, there's no real evidence of how it came about. It's just legends. Well, it's not as good as Smoot's. <laughs> well, that's yeah, but they've got proof of what a Smoot is and who Oliver Smoot was. Well, although the Smoot is not unfortunately as stable as one might hope, because when they re-smooted the bridge, he was shorter. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> well, he got older. It, like I think they did mm-hmm. it in the '60s and they redid oh, it in like oh. the aughts, and it's like, well. Um, <laughs> So uh, the lasers and the re- and the research in the movie were real. Like they did a lot of research. They wanted this to be as realistic as possible. The one thing that was not realistic was the fact that you could see the lasers in the film. Now those are actual yeah. lasers, but they kept filling the labs and stuff with smoke because otherwise, you know, the audience would just see something explode and not know why. Mm-hmm. Um, the ice in the smart people on ice scene was real. They actually had tubing <laughs> underneath the floors, and they had coolant running through the tubing, and there was chipped ice, and the floors were watered. So they spent about two weeks in what the cast and crew remember as being like a deep freezer. Yeah. Um, and then right after that, they did the, the tanning invitational, which, you know, everybody was now hot. Um, oh, and the, la- the last piece of trivia I found that I kept in here, because there was lots of it. The writer of this film, Neil Israel, also gave us... The Police Academy film. Oh, dear. <laughs> Which led well, to f- 15 other films in that series, I think. About 95, I think. Yeah. I think there's at least six. Yeah. I don't know about that. There, there may there may be more that just went straight to video. I don't know. That one's ripe for a reboot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, oh. Do you know any more trivia? I do, actually. There was one thing that always I was always a little puzzled about. It's a little throwaway thing, although it becomes sort of a, a significant as a uh, an inspiration for Chris Knight, you know, Val Kilmer. In the freezer in their dorm, they have a tube of what they say is liquid nitrogen, yes. and they cut it into coins and use it in the soda machine. Right. Liquid nitrogen is not a solid. It's a liquid, hence the name. Right. However, in an early draft of the script, it turns out the tube has a a hollow core surrounded by liquid nitrogen, the solid is dry ice. It's CO2. Oh. And that is actually dense enough and heavy enough that you could fool, or back in the old days, you could fool the vending machine with it. Huh. So that, I kind of wish they'd said that because that made more sense. You, you would think, though, that the people who like fill the vending machine after the first couple of times would just stop coming because there's never any money in the little yeah, basket. Yeah, they just... That's right, because the stuff would just turn to gas. There wouldn't even be liquid in there. Like, no. Why, why, why is the coin thing... It's probably like, oh, God, it's it's Caltech. Oh, I'm sorry, Pacific Tech. <laughs> what do, do you that. expect? <laughs> yeah. What else did you find out? Uh, that, oh, this I thought was just interesting. This was the first movie ever promoted on the Internet. Really? Yeah, I mean, such as it was Wait. in 1985. There was no web. But do you remember... Do you remember CompuServe? I know that it existed. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Martha Coolidge and the studio set up like a press conference in a computer store with a bunch of machines on CompuServe. And they set up, they used to have, uh, CompuServe had an ability to do like group chats. Uh, and so people could uh, log in and ask the writers and the directors questions. There were a lot of connectivity issues. There were a number <laughs> of crashes. So I don't think a lot happened. But it was technically the first one that used the internet as a marketing tool. Well, how apropos. Mm, if you count CompuServe as the internet, which back then <laughs> you kind you kind of had to, because what else was there? Wasn't a lot else for the average schmo. That was pre AOL, of course. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It, you know, this CompuServe, Genie. Uh, yeah, 
I was on Genie. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to say that I, I know I was on it with my Mac Plus and my 2400 baud modem. <laughs> 2400. Ha! I used to dream of 2400. I had a 1200 baud modem. Oh dear, really? I yeah, say, that was I, my. I think I was on. I want to say I was on Genie, probably in 86, 87, something like that. Um, for those listening, Genie, we had internet. Um, it was GE's network. It was their business network. And they realized that after hours, when nobody was using it, they could sell time. And you could get 30 minutes of online time a month for $5. Yeah. So what you would do is you would log into It was all just message boards. That's all there was. Although they had a lot of interesting message boards. I remember one I was uh, signed up to was called uh, Theme Park. And every two weeks, they would do a different 500-word essay contest sort of thing. And you would put, you know, post your essays and you would read other people's and stuff. But what you would do is you would log in, go to your message boards, download your messages and log out real quick. Because, you know, 30 minutes goes real fast in a month. So, I mean, it's a minute a day is what it's yeah, working yeah, out to for much. $5. And I remember when they, um, they ended up tripling the price because they wanted to help. Because there were people gaming on this. I don't know how. Um, yeah. Probably things like Rogue. But they were, uh, take, they were paying per hour or per minute or something and they were complaining that their costs were too high so they decided to say to the people like me who are just paying our five bucks well now you have to pay fifteen dollars so we can offset the cost for these people gaming and we said bite me and left so yeah yeah genie didn't last very long it was terrible i mean there was nothing yeah. there although there was no internet but you know oh no there was an internet there'd been an internet since the 60s well once Not you, if you if you had access to a university, you could get certain uh, connections through. Well, originally I got one through a VAX system, which at least gave me email, and uh, then later a Unix system, and you could use uh, you could use things like Archie or, or Gopher or Pine or Pine. Uh, hey, Pine was a big deal after a VAX email system. <laughs> I mean, it's like wow, I can have a contact list. Oh my God! I don't have to keep written down everybody's email address and type it in every single time. This is amazing. I remember being excited by having a SIG file. Oh God! People went nuts with SIG files. Yeah. They. W I remember there were people whose SIG files were eighteen times as long as the letters they wrote. <laughs> they were like five screens worth of signature. Ah, uh, the internet. As far as I'm concerned, mm. though, it doesn't have pictures. It's not the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't so. until 90, 1990. Well, one is when the web was invented. 93 was when the first browser officially came out. What was that, Mosaic? Uh, yeah, I got that in 1992 when one of my uh, engin engineering students came to me and said, Hi, have you heard about the World Wide Web? That's exactly <laughs> what he sounded like. <laughs> Did he like, need to speak to his manager? I Pretty much. <laughs> He gave me this beta copy of Trumpet Windsock and oh, a, real, a real beta copy of uh, Mosaic. It took me two weeks to figure out how to, because there were no instructions. I had to figure out how to configure it. And then I got out on the web and it's like, there's nothing here. Yeah. <laughs> there was like two pages. Yeah. But it ended up being pretty cool. Anyway, we're, we're getting way off topic. I know, but I know. Yeah, so that, that was the first co the first movie that I know of or that, I that uh, according to my sources, that... Uh, was advertised or marketed at least somewhat on the internet. Cool. Well, with that being said, I think that we should um, grab a brew and drink ourselves silly into The Lowdown. The Lowdown. <laughs> and Max is already there. <laughs> or halfway there. You don't know me. I, you're my best, best Maybe best you're friend. the one who's drunk. You ever think of that? You're the drunk who's won. <laughs> 
Oh, our audience loves that. That's, oh, yeah. That's when we get down, right? So. And get funky. Yeah. So, um, Max, I think yeah. it's fairly safe to say that you, to some extent, enjoy this film. Oh, I love this movie. My first thought of this movie was always, this is like Animal House for smart people. Yeah. You know, this is Animal House for geniuses. The one nice thing is it didn't feel like it was fake smart. Like, they did their research and they're talking about this stuff. And they and the actors spit out this Star Trek-level techno babble and don't bat an eye. Like, you mm-hmm. know, the stuff Mitch is saying. The kid was actually 15 when he did this film, 14 wow. and 15. And he did a great job. I totally believed him. Um this is back before apparently Val Kilmer was hard to work with. If that's yeah. even true, I don't know if that's true, but that's the that's the rumor. That's the yeah, that's the very very prevalent rumor. Yeah, is that he's a pain in the ass to work with. He was easy on the eye. Oops, did I say that out loud? <laughs> uh, what I what I really like about this movie is the geek. They don't treat the geeks. I mean, let's face it. The characters in here are all one form or another geeks. They're science geeks, or nerds, what have you, or nerds, or both. But they aren't treated as punchlines or caricatures. No. They're treated as real people, and they're shown as this really kind of tight-knit community who, you know, you have your assholes and you have all the practical jokes and the nasty pranks, but they all support each other. When anyone's trying to do a project, you notice all the others come in to help. Yeah, I really especially liked Jordan because... Oh, Jordan's great. She is every bit herself, never feels bad about it. In fact, when she's trying to explain, it's like, oh, I think I drove my roommate crazy. Oh, I don't know why. Weird. And <laughs> she just keeps going, and she's this hyperkinetic, amazingly smart person who just uses every hour of the day to make something, and she stays herself, and she's awesome for it. Yeah, she always she says, you know, because I never sleep, and she really doesn't, apparently. And in fact, when you see her room, you notice that she's turned her bed into, like, a storage loft. Yeah. Obviously doesn't use it. And she has this great, it's such a throwaway, but they're at the uh, Tanning International and Mitch, why, why aren't you? And she interrupts, goes, what, necking? I'm not gay. And he's like, <laughs> no, no, partying. She goes, oh, well, because I'm brilliant, I'm hyperkinetic, I'm 19, and if I, uh, it tends to put people off, and if I stop to think about it, I'd probably get really upset. <laughs> and then she just, hey, want to try my rebreather? <laughs> no, that's the, the, the thing I really like is what happens there. He just looks at her and says, I think you're really nice. Yeah, he does. And she looks at it, and the the relationship, the dynamic between them is so sweet. It is. It's very cute. When she walks into the party, the, you know, he's sitting off by himself, as he says he's been snubbed by beauticians. Although <laughs> oh, student beautician. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and she walks in with a scuba suit and a rebreather, and his face just lights up. Yes, yes. He likes it, her. Yes, it's so, and it's absolutely believable. Now, on the other hand, the other um, um, scene with him and a woman is kind of creepy because the cougar lady comes. (laughs) (laughs) There is this woman played by Patty Darbinville, who, by the way, was an Andy Warhol creation. She was in a, a couple of his weird movies. Oh, like Sleep or Empire. No, I think she was in, like, Flesh. Oh, well, Yeah, great. yeah. Okay. But uh, she has this thing where she's trying to find and apparently have sex with the top ten minds in America. And we, I think she actually completes. She's down to three. I think the only one she doesn't get is Mitch. Yeah, I think but that's right. she shows up and she's probably pretty close be, to 40. Yeah, and, and she, she wants to have sex with him. And according to the actor, because people... I, I saw he actually had a uh, 30th reunion thing at some theater in, in L.A., 
and uh, people asked him, it's like, you know, oh, so about that kiss? And he's like, oh, so you want to know about that kiss? Like, was it my first screen kiss? Was it my first kiss ever? That look of panic on my face, is it real? Uh, the answer is no, it's not my first kiss. It is his first screen kiss. And yes, the look of panic was utterly real. Because um, <laughs> it's played for like a little joke, but it's creepy. It is. Although what comes out of it is really sweet because yes. then he goes and goes down to Jordan. Yeah. And he, tell, and he tells her about it. It's yeah. not like... Oh, this is going to be like some wacky sitcom where he tries to conceal it and he finds out and there's misunderstanding. He says, no, she wa- and I love the way he puts it. She wanted to, oh God, how can I say this without offending you? And Jordan said, she wanted to jump you? <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> you made it with her? And he says, no, that was the weird part. Yeah. He says, I, I wanted to, and he just looks at her, but not with her. Oh. And she gets oh. it immediately and she's... So, she's so delighted it's such a sweet moment and that whole scene is like a minute maybe yeah no there's a lot of little scenes that there's some embarrassing scenes with mitch but he oh, he did a remarkable job playing a 15 year old nerd maybe that's what he was maybe but you can be that thing and not portray it he you was just... absolutely convincing yeah god that sequence where he has that tearful call home to find uh. out they've read his parents have rented his room mom and... to who <laughs> well can't we share it <laughs> That's just painful enough. And then Kent, the asshole, records it and plays it in the lunchroom over the PA. Yes, unfortunately the recording doesn't match, but that's okay. No, no, it doesn't. But it's, oh God, I can barely watch that scene. It's such, so cringeworthy, but it's so perfect. Yeah, it really is. Um, There's a couple of other minor characters. Ick, I think, was great because Ick is also totally a nerd and totally himself and you can tell that he's a lot more capable than probably most people give him credit for because it's like at one point, oh, here's this cherry I grew. It's like, what? It's, it's the and, size of a cantaloupe. And then later he's riding a motorcycle. They could yeah. so easily have put him on a Vespa scooter or something yeah. weird and awkward, and he's out on a motorcycle, and you, I wouldn't surprise me to find that he's actually a big motorcycle enthusiast, right? Probably, like, he probably builds them himself. Yeah, well, apparently it was a BMW, so it wasn't even like oh, some... Wow. Yeah, it wasn't some cheap little motorcycle. But... Um, things like that the characters all seem very well rounded you're very very much right that they're not used as like one note jokes except for Kent Uh, but even Kent like he makes total sense in this film you know there are people that were smarter in their small pond and used that to their advantage and now there's somewhere it doesn't work anymore and very clearly has this terrible sense of entitlement. You know, he almost never apologizes for anything, even when he screws up in front of Jerry, when he's, like, blocking the camera. You're blocking the camera. Well, I didn't know. Yeah, or even, like, you know, uh, other things that people point out. He keeps calling Jerry by his first name, and it's like, oh, did I? <laughs> Am I? <laughs> I told no, you, sorry. Kid, you don't get you don't get to use my first name. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, Kent. Uh, Kent. Mm. You know, he and even he gets a little redemption at the end. Yeah, I have to say that his, the part about the the speaker in his head was strangely even more so than the popcorn was to me probably the most unbelievable part of the film. I uh, bought that actually. If you if you, the only problem is there's no way they could have done it in two minutes. You would have to have something connected to like the mastoid bone to get uh, actual resonance from the jaw. And also, like, what's the power source? <laughs> Uh, you could have a very small battery, a transceiver, as long as it was very... Sh- that's the thing. The range would have probably been about 50 feet. Yeah. So, but you could do it. Even back then, I think you could have done it with a very small battery. Yeah, sadly, I believed the aircraft laser without any problem. Part, <laughs> maybe because we have It might have be. But, yeah. Um, 
uh, yeah, that was the thing. It's like even the popcorn. It's like, I mean, yeah, sure, popcorn. But yeah, I don't know about that thing about him believing it was Jeebus, but whatever. <laughs> um, uh, what else do we have here? Oh, so the interesting thing uh, I hadn't noticed before, I remember the opening of the film, but I didn't pay attention. Mm. What I mostly remember is the cavemen, and I sort of blank out the rest. But actually, every single image in there is about weaponry. And oh, yeah. It's, if the song, which I can't remember what it's about, but it's something about you done me wrong. Or... No, it's you took advantage of me. Yeah. So basically the entire film is given away in the opening montage. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but... It's all the things like Da Vinci's tank and the armored car that Churchill yep. wanted and the the Hawkeye missile and uh, the and nuclear York. stuff. Nuclear. <laughs> nuclear like you do. Nuclear. Yep. Um, one of my favorite odd quotes is in the, from the beginning after they do that little presentation and they say, ah, it's as easy as shooting ducks in a barrel. Yeah, du wait a minute. Ducks? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would think if you put a duck in a barrel, it would fly away, thus making yeah. it not easy. But eh, that, that's fine. They probably did that on purpose. Probably. Um, uh, we, need to, we need to, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, just in that same sequence where the shadowy figures are talking about the weapons, that, that line that just sums them all up is like, let's see that film on blinding techniques. Then we'll all have some lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. Um, we need to take some time out, though, now. We need mm -hmm. to talk very seriously about Mitch's hair. <laughs> <laughs> Do we? Okay. Oh uh, well. I, what about I, his hair? I, th I think that's the number one thing that's going to guarantee he doesn't get a date. I know he does uh -huh. get one, but I, mm -hmm. in his old school, one of the number one reasons besides the hutch puppies and the, t and the shirt buttoned all the way up to the, to the clavicle uh, is and that the briefcase. penile haircut that he's wearing that he, was he has never a very unfortunate haircut. <laughs> never in style ever. No. Um, Chris Knight, on the other hand, and for those who are huge aficionados, they may have caught the fact, and I don't know if they did this on purpose, that Chris Knight is the name of the actor who played Peter Brady, <laughs> who right. there is a science connection, because you remember he did the volcano. Oh, dear. So that was for his <laughs> science fair. So I think that, that they're trying to make this juxtaposition. No, I don't know. So so Real Genius is part of the Brady-verse? <laughs> I really hope not. And you are now fired a third time for using the word Bradyverse. It's all connected, I tell you. The Bradyverse, everything is one. Uh, I'm trying to remember if in the Brady cartoon they ever met up with the Partridge family in outer space. In the cartoon, I didn't think so. I, I didn't think they ever met up with the Partridge family. Yeah, I know they were both cartoons, but you kind mm. of wonder, because that's like two shows that should have collided at some point that's and right. never did. Well, there was well, a Partridge family in 2200 AD, right? Something like that. They were flying yeah. around in Jetson ships, and there were all right. the different colors on it. And I don't remember <laughs> if there was any explanation as to why these people from a 70s sitcom were suddenly in 2200. <laughs> they just yeah. were. And yeah. hey, we can listen to those great songs over and oh, over dear. and over again. <laughs> hey, I think I love you. <laughs> um, Chris Knight is yeah. a Marvel and DC fan because we see he's got Avengers comics and Teen Titans comics, which were mm -hmm. um, so that he's he's very broad minded. I like that as a little point. I honestly think somebody just grabbed something off the shelf and said comics and threw them on the floor of the set. But Probably. Whatever. You also notice that he's a fan of close-up magic because he can actually do that coin rolling across his fingers thing. Yes, he does it even a couple of times, and he's just doing it and not paying attention. So He does the same thing when he's in uh, Top Gun as Iceman. He's run he runs a pen across his fingers that and way. And, of course, Iceman is a Marvel character, so we have yeah. <gasps> Oh, my God, Real Genius is part of the Top Gun-verse. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the Marvel Universe and the Brady-verse. Mind blown. Not... Hard. 
Bradyverse. Uh, I'm gonna have to bleep the word Bla- Bradyverse. You realize that? Of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, the thing we haven't talked about a lot is Val Kilmer. Um, Chris Knight, that character, has some of the best lines in the movie. He is just hilarious. He does. And this this isn't the level... Who is that screenwriter that you really like who did... Um, oh, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that level, but he is very glib. And everything Chris Knight says is basically... You could write that on the gold record yeah. and send it off in Voyager, and you know. I still love when, he, when he's introducing Kent to, to Mitch, and they're standing around <laughs> on the ice, and Kent's going, What is this? This? This is ice. This is what happens to water when it gets too cold. This? This is Kent. This is what happens to people when they get too sexually frustrated. And his response is, grrr. (laughs) Kent can't come up with anything. He's just not as clever. You can tell. I think my favorite bit later is between him and Mitch, and they're out doing the thing with the car, and Mm -hmm. Mitch just happens to notice. He's like, oh, he puts his name on his license plate. Oh, my mother does that with my underwear. Your mother puts license plates in your underwear? How do you sit? (laughs) My favorite is Chris is sitting outside having this moment, and Mitch says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm moment of self-realization I was pondering the immortal words of Socrates who said I drank what? (laughs) (laughs) I love that I have quoted that so many times so many times Yeah, I want to say that unconsciously I probably have emulated the Chris Knight character over the years and have huh. worked it worked at trying to be that fast because <laughs> it's just so much fun to I think you pull it off. Eh, sure. You know, eh, I'm no Doug Henning, but you know. <laughs> Doug uh, Hen- what? <laughs> Why would you pull that that curly headed bizarro out of the wor- out of your your pants? Again? Um <laughs> I just magician pulled, yeah. you know. Uh but it's like you you want to be that kind of success, you know, with your 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 What's the word? Vocabulary. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, I know everybody. You want to be that. You want to be every word that comes out of your mouth be witty and exactly the right thing. Yeah, and it just comes up with these things seemingly out of nowhere, and they're just really fun. Um, so one of the things that has been actually there's two things that have been been themes throughout the the hidden gems. One of which we haven't quite touched on, although it should be pretty mm-hmm. obvious at this point, and that is most of the films so far, if not all of them, came through the uh, 80s. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We didn't plan it that way, but that's, I think that, we, you know, that was our childhood. That was our, you know, teen, our growing up years. So, uh, and there are a lot of movies that came out of there that I think deserve another look that a lot of people don't remember. The other thing, too, about the 80s is that there was a lot of innovation going on. And I don't mean innovation like, oh, you know, we're learning new ways to film things. The film language is being expounded or special effects, which certainly was true. But people were willing to take more chances then. We got things like, you know, Terminator. We got Ghostbusters. We got um, Aliens. You know, all these big things that are now giant franchises and and sequeled to, to death. But it seemed like, people were more willing to take a choice or a chance then. And I think part of it, of course, had to do with the price of admission. And that being that films were just not nearly as ridiculously overblown and expensive, although still expensive for their time. Mm-hmm. And you could film... I mean, quite honestly, I when I saw Terminator in the theater, after the first ten minutes, I wanted to go because the, the special effects were terrible. Uh-huh. And I went with friends and who drove, and they're like, no, no, we want to stay. And I was like, oh, okay. And it ended up being a great film. The story was great, even with the special effects, especially the stop-motion stuff doesn't really hold up that well. But even because of that, the story was really good, and that's what mattered. And, you know, ended up really liking that film. Um, films like Alien are one of the darkest films ever filmed. But it was a great 
scary monster in outer space film. And of course, you yeah. know, look what's happened with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghostbusters, which may or may not have come from either a live action Saturday morning kid show or a cartoon <laughs> Saturday morning kid show or neither, depending Only on Only you view. can prevent Forrest Tucker. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're we're, we're going to have to depend on Larry Storch to do that. Unfortunately, um, yeah, th- there was, by the way, for those of you who don't remember, there was a live action Saturday morning show, which came out before the movie, well before, called The Ghostbusters, and it had Tracy the Gorilla. Yep, two three characters: Spencer, Tracy, and Kong. Yeah, and strangely, and, Kong was not the gorilla. Tracy no, was the gorilla. No, that was Forrest, had, Forrest Tucker. Yeah, um, but it just seems like there's a lot of stuff got made in the 80s that I don't think they'd, they'd do it today. I don't think they'd take the chance. It's like, we are we have to spend $100 million. Actually, that's probably low now. We yeah. have to spend $200 million because if you don't, people won't go see it, and it has to be a franchise and there have to be tons of... Or we can reboot in two years. Mm. But there's something yes. about the 80s that I think just... I don't know. Stuff got made. Not all of it was good. Don't get me wrong, but we got things like we got things mm-hmm. like Lady Hawk. That was great. The original Highlander. Don't see any of the sequels. Any of them. Even <laughs> the ones from Planet Zeist. All right. Remember how I fired you three times? We're going nope. for four. <laughs> I've forgotten it all. Quadruple fired. Fired, 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 fired. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no, but, there was some great ones. There was a lot of crap, too. Oh, sure. Name anything from Empire films. Look them up. <laughs> There's a lot of fun there. Jack yeah. Death. Trancers, that's the film I was oh, trying to remember the other God. week. Trancers, Robojocks. <laughs> oh, Lord. But you also got some really weird, fun stuff that wouldn't have been made, like yeah. Reanimator and From Beyond. Oh, um, dear. Yeah, they're, and they're, okay, there's some, I would say, questionable taste, except they don't have any taste. Questionable? <laughs> I said didn't, no. There's no question. There, there is none. But any, they're yeah. fun. And especially from beyond, I enjoy from beyond. It is makes no it, well. It's based on a Lovecraft story, or I should say, there was a Lovecraft book in the room when they filmed it. <laughs> Somewhere, um, yeah. And it's weird. It's icky, and it's funny in really dark humor ways. But stuff like that, they wouldn't make now. I don't think, mm. or at least they like. I, I think of films like Her, which you introduced me to back in the series one. And I, the more I think about that film, the more I like it. But that's a rarity these days. So getting something like that or Ex Machina made and actually in front of people, it's like, hey, we're, we don't want to think about this being a franchise. We want to make this film and we really want to make something interesting and different. Even if it's, you know, some science fiction thing that's got shoot 'em up and whatever, you just don't see that anymore. Or yeah. not as much. And it's kind of too bad. And maybe that's why all the movies we've picked so far have been 80s based. Yeah. The other thing, too, is that a lot of the films we've picked have had a lot of really good and interesting music. This yeah. film is not one of them. It has well, fun, catchy music, but this is more of the top 40 side of things. Yeah, I mean, hell, you've got Tears for Fears as the closing song. And yeah, you have some catchy stuff, but not really that memorable, I don't think. No, no, not, except but, for uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I, yeah. yeah. I don't remember any of the songs in there. Yeah. But it's, it's very... I mean, the look of the film... I mean, just Chris Knight's hair alone is the <laughs> 80s. So... Um, it's interesting because, of course, we've had some 80s nostalgia come out recently. Eddie Player One. Oh, um, Lord. Which manages to both reference 80s nostalgia and utterly get it wrong at the same time. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that visually it wasn't the DeLorean or that's not Batman's Batmobile from the 60s. I don't mean that they didn't get They just, like, there was no feeling 
of the the actual thing it came from. Yeah. It's just look, Batman. Or yeah, it's just the visuals. There's none of the flavor. None no. of the, the yeah, none of the emotional tone. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things about this movie, I just want to circle back to, is it actually has some interesting messages in it. It has actually subtext. It's not obvious. It doesn't hit you over the head. But uh, I mean, little things like where uh, when Mitch wants to leave school, and Chris talks him out of it. And one of the things as he puts it is, when you're smart, people need you. True. Real simple. But the thing I really like is when they talk about Laszlo. Laszlo, who is this, biz- who is sort of this ur geek, this mm-hmm. uber nerd, who lives in the steam tunnels below their dorm, and has this elaborate network of tunnels and uh, uh, like mining cars set <laughs> up to get you around in them. It's it's just so cool. It really is. That would be. I, uh, who am I kidding? In college, that would have been my fantasy. That is where I would have liked to live. Uh, that was let's, awesome. let's face it, you still do. Yeah, well, I would like to live there now. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably nice and cool down there. Um, yeah. But uh, the idea that the story behind him, where he's explaining to Mitch, you know, you, you, this the reason he's trying to get Mitch to lighten up and not study all the time and not just focus on the science is says he Laszlo yeah he cracked because he thought as he that line that he thought the answer he loved science he loved finding the answers but he thought the answers were the answers to everything all science no philosophy and then one day someone told him that the things he designed were killing people and it's the same thing the odd thing is then there's an echo of that when they successfully make the laser and Laszlo says, what would you use it for? Oh, the applications are limitless. Yeah, he said, we leave that to the engineers. He's going, no, you have to think about this. Very high power, very short, very, very short uh, firing rate. You could vaporize a human target from space. He's basically telling him, you've built a weapon of assassination, which is what they've done. Yeah. Because quite honestly, the, the the applications are limitless. Okay, so it shoots a hole through the campus. Yeah. I, really. What what application would you have besides destroying something? Giant cheese? You've built well. It's what they say. Yeah. Making really making a lot of Swiss cheese. No, it basically they've built an enormous gun. They built an unbelievably powerful gun, and they don't seem to realize it. Right. It's a nice touch, by the way, when the military are setting up the the uh, test fire. <laughs> And they've got those cars. <laughs> yes. The, yes, this was so horrible. The arrangement of the cars and the people in them, it duplicates the Kennedy motorcade right yes. before JFK was shot. So it really, it's like sort of poking either fun or poking truth at the whole CIA assassination plot thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I was in my Not, not that that happened for uh, you. Oh, of uh, course not. Everybody uh, knows. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Mike? Did you fall for it? <laughs> Completely. Um, speaking of the steam tunnels, so mm. uh, some people may think that that whole steam tunnel tunnel thing is a little bit far-fetched, or at least that, like, why would there be this maze of stuff beneath the dorms? So a friend of ours from high school ended up going to a large technological institute somewhere in Massachusetts. <laughs> yes, a, a technological institute in Massachusetts. I yes, somewhere. I tell you the name. Yeah. It's not well known, but... Oh. Um, when, so there was a group of people there, and there, I'm sure they're still doing this, that basically spelunk the steam tunnels that run under said institute. Um, I'm not going to say who they are or, or, or how you would know them, um, but I got to go along once, and yeah. I have seen steam tunnels under said institute. And I will tell you, it's like, it is really expansive. 
and it was like the coolest spy thing I've ever done. Because to access these tunnels, we had to go into this certain building, we had to go into an elevator shaft, we had to go down to the bottom of the elevator shaft, we had to go down this Death Star trench thing and into this... I mean, it's just amazing what's down there. There's a lot of space. And we ended up coming up in the middle of a nearby city in which this institute exists, but in the middle of the sidewalk, like just right out there, not on campus. <laughs> we had wandered way off off campus. Yeah. And we I saw like, you know, 1% of what's down there. Oh, and yeah. Exceedingly cool. And it's one of my favorite memories. The sad thing is, is that it's one of those memories that seems so cool that as I get older, I start to doubt that it actually happened. Uh. But it but it did. <laughs> So uh, I, knew, I knew somebody at a uh, technical school in Pittsburgh uh, that rhymes with Sparnagy Jellin. <laughs> You're uh, worse at hiding your school than I am at mine. Well, I didn't go there, but and uh, he he mapped out the he went down the steam tunnels and Sparnaby the street Jellin. <laughs> a lot of these schools have these incredibly elaborate structures below them. Yes, I will say it is exceedingly dangerous to be down there. Oh yeah, not a good idea. But they are called steam tunnels because there are these giant pipes with pressurized steam in them. And should any of them suddenly decide to, oh, I don't know, explode or you, vent, even you would die. Yeah, um, because yeah, pressure and steam. Steam has eighteen powers. Anyway, um, <laughs> so one of the things I noticed only because I've seen a lot of. Uh, especially 50s and 60s science fiction and monster films that had this in there is at one point they cut to a TV broadcast for, uh, from KNLA, which I'm sure is supposed to be Kitla. <laughs> Listen to Kitla. <laughs> Kitla, new. Yeah, mm-hmm. KTLA, which is a very well-known uh, TV station in, in LA. Um, let's see if I got much else in here. I'm not sure that oh, I do. There, do. there are a couple of other just great moments. When uh, Chris goes to take Hathaway's exam... And Hathaway's already told him, you know, you're no use to me. I'm, you're, you're not going to pass. I'm going to destroy your career. And he finishes the exam. He hands him the exam, the little note that says, I aced this. Yep. And Hathaway tears it up. And he take, then Chris takes out an apple and puts it on the desk. And Hathaway takes the apple and contemptuously drops it into the garbage. Chris leaves. And like five seconds later, the apple explodes in the garbage. <laughs> I, I'm so willing to bet that that happened more than once. I have no trouble believing that. God knows, I'm t- I'm a, God knows what was in the apple that did that. But Apparently one of the other scenes that also is true, there's one scene that uh, it's a little montage where Mitch is going to class and it's a big class and there's a professor teaching. Oh, yes. And you can tell that it's, you know, really boring. Fry. Yeah, like, uh, it's, it's like, like that the, kind of guy. It's like Ben Stein in in Ferris Bueller. Yeah, that guy is actually a physics professor at Caltech. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. So we start off seeing this big class. Then the next time Mitch comes in, instead of students, some of the students are missing, but they have tape recorders recording the the lecture. And then as it, we finally get to the point where Mitch is the only student there, and in fact the teacher's not there, it's a tape recorder talking to other tape recorders, and apparently that is true. Do you see what? Do you see what was written on the blackboard? Listen carefully. The math is hard. <laughs> math is hard to learn on tape. Yep. Yeah. Math is hard at the beach. <laughs> uh, thank you, Barbie. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the little little things that I can't tell was meant to be there or not was when they get to the Air Force base and they're looking over the IDs. The names on Mitch's and Chris's IDs are switched. Why, why they even use their real names, I don't I, know. But well, I still go. like when Jordan's giving them the ID. Says, "What do you think?" And Chris looks at it and goes, this is, these are terrible. Mine looks like him, and he lo- his looks like mine. <laughs> yeah. And she takes them and switches them. Yeah. Um, so so 
poor Laszlo was supposed to win 32.6% of the prizes. He ends up only with 31.8%. I have to check the, 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 what he did there. Uh, he did not win the car. Because he no, said specifically, he, I should win thirty-two point six percent of the prizes, including the car, and he doesn't. Isn't that well, he wins sad? the he wins an RV? I, but he didn't get the car. He didn't get the car. That he did, however, had an RV full of things that has a trailer full of things, and yep. he has a wife. So <laughs> I think he did just fine. Uh, God, and Laszlo, he's set up as a good guy early on. I mean, right away, when you first see him, it's just kind of creepy because he come. Mitch is sitting in the in the room he shares with Chris. Laszlo walks in, walks over to their wardrobe, and gets inside. And Mitch goes over, opens it, and there's nothing in there. Yeah. It turns out the the wardrobe has a secret entrance to his underground lair. But he never speaks. He just walks in and out. And at first, that seems kind of creepy, but there's this one little scene. Mitch is carrying all these papers, walking down. He walks down some stairs. He drops them, and Laszlo appears out of nowhere and helps him pick them up. Still doesn't say anything. He just helps him gather them up, gives them to Mitch, and leaves. Yeah, he disappears. Mm-hmm. I like the first time he actually comes out, and he's got the uh, the answers to all of uh, yeah. the <laughs> professor's questions. But the first thing he says, he stands there looking around, yeah. and, they and they say, go, Hi, Laszlo. And he just goes, Hello. Oh no! He go- no no. He, he, they say hi, Laszlo, and he just looks around for a minute and then goes, "Oh, that's me." Yeah, and then oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, it's like no, he no he hasn't talked to anybody in, in ten in who knows how many years. Right, he's just living yeah. on campus, and somehow people don't know. Yeah. Uh, another little bit of uh, tidbit of of uh, I shouldn't say tidbit. I should say it is a hint, a, a thing you mm. should live by. Always, no no no, ah. never. <laughs> forget to check your references <laughs> thank you that's right this professor is off you know, at the very beginning mitch shows up at a faculty party and he he's talking to the professor and the professor obviously wants to give him some words of wisdom and can't think of any yeah just basically no. pulls that out of the air yeah and, the, the dean's freshman tea well it's a good thing we have one then <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's well I, I think we're pretty much unless you have any other bits you want to put in there nah, i think we're gonna think get so. into our delorean at 88 miles an hour our way into the roundup Yep. The Roundup. So. Huh, here we are, Marty. I do a better Dr. Brown than you. Uh, um, but you do many other things better than I. Such as, <laughs> tell us what you think of this film, which I think we probably know. But I think, yeah, you already know. I really enjoy this film. It's so much fun to watch. It's really funny. It's touching. It's sweet. Uh, it's paced really nicely. It drags one or two points, but it kind of has to. Yeah. Um. I think it's I think it's really good. I think Martha. I always surprised Martha Coolidge didn't have a bigger career. The two movies she's best known for are this and Valley Girl, yeah. which star which stars Mike's favorite actor Nicolas Cage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I and loved all, you in Wall Street. Um, <laughs> he, he, no, wasn't, he wasn't in Wall Street. No, I know. Uh, yeah, not a big fan of of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. He does certain things very. Well, mostly being Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, it, she did a lot of TV, apparently, mm-hmm. after that. Um, and so she's kept busy. But yeah, it, 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 this is one of those films that I think it's gained an audience over time. It has an, It's not a huge audience, but it's a dedicated audience. Um, it's a film that those who like it will watch many, many times, will quote incessantly. Um, I still want to find a an International Order of Gorillas t-shirt just because... <laughs> But uh, it's it's just now, as I said, I saw it trending on Netflix. I don't know what that mm. means, um, but it's on Netflix, so it's easy to find. Although mm-hmm. I shouldn't say the word Netflix unless I'm talking about my pants. Um, 
but Your uh, pants. Okay. It was one of those films that I think if you blinked, you missed it in the theater. I don't remember seeing it in the theater. I think it was literally one of those things that, as I said, a friend of ours, Dan, had met Martha Coolidge, and when it came out on video, he got it, and we watched it on video. Mm. Yeah, I can't remember. But it's yeah. not one of those films I think that was showing up, you know, on late night UHF or anything like that. So. It was. It had a very different take. I think one of the reasons people didn't know quite what to make of it was this was the same era when you had movies like Weird Science <laughs> and and Reve- Revenge of the Nerds. Right. That was about. That were also about you know science nerds and geeks, but they were all punchlines. They were all two dimensional characters, and they were just they were all caricatures. And this made them look like real people. Right. And they weren't creating women. <laughs> yes, they were not making magic cyber whatever the hell uh women to to have sex with didn't weird science like exist as a tv show for a short time yes apparently it did for about a minute and a half hey if they can make cork they can make that um (laughs) you know Uh, richard benjamin was wasn't busy so hey i I remember i watched every episode of cork all eight of them i'm sorry (laughs) yeah hey it was one of the there wasn't at that era at that point in time there wasn't a lot of science fiction on tv um space 1999 and salvage one uh space 1999 i thought was earlier and salvage one really yeah andy Andy griffith in space andy griffith in outer space I actually liked the made-for-TV love. Uh, made-for-TV movie. Uh, I remember as a kid really liking the idea that hey, somebody in a junkyard can put stuff together. And hey, it like kind of pre- predates Elon Musk, and he did the same thing. He took a cement mixer and uh, used no, rockets. No, and no, he didn't. Elon I, Musk took a hundred kabillion dollars and made a spaceship. I think it was a cement mixer. <laughs> I'm um, pretty sure he didn't use a junkyard. I actually like looked it up on YouTube and tried to watch it, and it's like, wow, this is dull. Yeah. Um, but I remember as a kid, I loved it. It's for, for those who don't want to watch it, I'm guessing that's um, all of you. Mm. It, it's Andy Griffith in outer space. So Andy Griffith owns a junkyard. They start talking, he sees a news broadcast about the fact that, hey, you know, we left a bunch of stuff on the moon. Boy, wouldn't that be valuable. So he decides, I'm going to go salvage that crap. And he builds a rocket out of NASA... Like uh, what are they junk. called? Well, NASA junk, but it's um, uh, surplus. Surplus. That's what I want. Mm. So NASA surplus, a cement mixer in this stuff. Uh, he <laughs> figures out this brilliant way to get off the planet, which doesn't work, um, mm. using less fuel, and goes to the moon. And he gets stuff, and then he has trouble getting back, and he has to team up with NASA to get him home somehow. And I forget. I think he actually manages to get back. Avoid the authorities. I don't remember what happens to the space junk, but apparently the movie was well enough received that they made a very short-lived TV show about it because they realized, well, once you've salvaged the moon, now what? <laughs> Atlantis or, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have sex with the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was from Get in the Cage. I think with Nick, they, were, they used to do on Saturday Night Live where they would make fun of Nicolas Cage. As well they should. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, whatever. Anyway, so we're, we're getting way off topic because oh, that's yeah. what we do. Um, it's worth seeing. It's a lot of fun if you haven't seen it. It's, it's, you'll actually, I think you'll see references to, in other films to this film. Um, Val Kilmer's a lot of fun. The guy who plays Mitch is a lot of fun. All the characters are fun. They don't, mm-hmm. like Mac, Mac said, they don't feel two dimensional. They feel like real people. Even the female characters, in, which is unusual in a, in a nerd based movie, are complete three dimensional people. They aren't just prizes, they aren't uh, tokens. I mean, okay, the beauticians at the, uh, at the Tanning International, but even they, you know, they're, they're sort of a reminder 
of, uh, you know, this is, these aren't the people you usually meet. Can you pound a six-inch spike into a board with your penis? Not right now. Girl's got to have her standards. Yeah. <laughs> even and then he's just like, even he's just like, wow. And he, oh, she's smart. That woman was the star of Valley Girl, by the way. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, go check it out, folks. Mm. Um, because Definitely our, worth it. Our word is law. Yes. Ape law. Ape law. <laughs> we will march into the Forbidden Theater. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty ape. <laughs> Hush up, bright eyes. So, you know, uh, that brings this episode to close. But next week, we're going to pick something a little newer. And this is something that I know has not got a huge audience, even though it is part of a very large service Netflix. Um, It is a... Is it New Zealand? I think it's New Zealand. New Zealand, yep. New Zealand made-for-something movie called (laughs) What We Do in the Shadows. And this was uh, shown to me by my buddy the Weasel. There you go, Weasel. I gave you a plug. And uh, it is... A mockumentary, and it is about monsters, real life, going to eat your face off monsters. And we highly recommend it, but we're going to be discussing that next week. Yes, we will. This week, we're going to be talking about Real Genius, a film that... Oh, no, wait. Oh, I got lost. Uh, Oh, God, you're back at the beginning of the script. Crap. Uh, Page down. Hit the page down. I can only go in one direction. All right, I'm sorry, folks. We're going to have to start this all over again. Yeah, Welcome to Max Mike. Hey, Hey, oh... This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Want to contact us? You can find our episodes online at maxmikemovies.com or follow our Twitter feed at MaxMikeMovies.